Had a great start to my day, and it began with Boyer's Coffee, sitting here right in front of me, in fact, on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Tastes so good, gets my day started. They have a plethora, I love the word plethora, plethora of flavors, and they make it so easy for you. Just go online to boyerscoffee.com. You're going to see all the flavors that you can purchase. There are a lot of other items you can purchase as well. And they'll have them delivered to your house. It's that simple. I had my Aspen Gold this morning. As I told you, that's my go-to flavor. And it gets my day started. And uh, I sneak another uh, cup or two throughout the day. Always have my Boyers at the ballpark as well. You could do the same. Or you can go to your local market and find your Boyers Coffee there as well. They've been brewing coffee since 1965 in the Rocky Mountain region. They're awesome. They're terrific. Boyerscoffee.com. We're into the summer and there's always a lot of projects outside, tidying up, cleaning up, projects that you're going to maybe put off to the fall, but you want to be prepared. And the best way to be prepared is to have a number of steel products at your disposal. S-T-I-H-L. They're the best in the world and they have every sort of tool to help you around your yard, around your house, to help your neighbors, to help the whole neighborhood if you need to, whether it's trimmers, chainsaws, blowers, you name it, every size imaginable. Battery is my go-to. Battery is the way to go. It's easy it's nimble. They last forever. They have the best products going. And you find them at steeldealers.com or steelusa.com. That's S-T-I-H-L. Steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. And you will be amazed at the number of great products they have that's going to help you with uh, every project you have around the house. And as I said, around the neighborhood. Your neighbors will love you. Take care. Steeldealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, a Wimbledon showdown. The Pac-12 has fallen apart. Which two Rockies should be considered for the All-Star game? And in part two of his conversation with Peter McNabb, what was it like at the after party when the Avs won the Stanley Cup? The best part for me was saying hello to the parents, you know, because I got to talk with them about their son. And whatever the players were doing, I absolutely didn't see a thing. (laughs) Which was what I thought. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 157, recording from uh, L.A. as the uh, Rockies continue their series against the Dodgers. Get to uh, more of that uh, in a moment. First of all, I realized 157 means we're beginning year four of this podcast. So a big Big, big thank you to all of you for indulging me each week over the last 156 weeks and three years. So, again, thanks very much, and, and thanks for uh, spreading the word and and uh, sharing your thoughts periodically on uh, social media as well. I've really uh, come to enjoy uh, doing this. I, I don't want to say come to enjoy. That's as if uh, I didn't enjoy it initially. I did enjoy it initially. That's why I did it. Um, but it, it's fun talking about various topics, uh, many of those involving baseball naturally, but touching on a lot of different things. And uh, a little bit later on, we'll continue our conversation with the great Peter McNabb on the avalanche season, the avalanche future, 
and um, and some comparisons uh, to years gone by with the Colorado Avalanche as well. But it's fun to talk about many different topics, and um, it, it's fun to have this kind of forum. So I've thoroughly enjoyed doing the podcast the last three years and can't believe that we're now on to uh, year number four. So again, big thank you to, uh, to all of you. Big shout out also to uh, DNVR. Um, and my man, Patrick Lyons, uh, make sure you download uh, his work and read his stuff uh, each and every week uh, on the Rockies, each and every day, I should say, on the Rockies. And uh, they cover uh, all of the teams in the Rocky Mountain uh, area, and they do it so well. That's the DNVR crew. All right. I started my day today, as I have for the last 10 days, watching Wimbledon, breakfast at Wimbledon. I love tennis. I I played a fair amount of tennis growing up until in high school, football and baseball uh, took, uh, you know, all of my uh, all of my time. Uh, And then I've come the last couple of years to playing tennis again. And uh, I love the game. I've always uh, enjoyed watching it, especially growing up when it was Connors and McEnroe and Ely Nastasi and Bjorn Borg and Max Wielander. And, and there were so many great names. And, um, and now, man, I have been all in. I, I was just riveted this morning watching... Uh, Rafael Nadal and American Taylor Fritz go at it for five sets, and uh, Fritz was up two sets to one. Nadal somehow looked at one point like he wasn't going to be able to finish. He comes back, and he wins 7-5 in the fourth, and it goes to a tiebreaker in the fifth, and Nadal, who dug deep, uh, gutted it out and won, and he's still on pace, as we talk, to potentially win the first three Grand Slams of the year. Now, this is not his best service. We all know the dirt's his best surface, the clay, uh, but he won at the Aussie on a hard surface. He won at the French, naturally, and uh, he could face Djokovic in the final, which would be just uh, amazing. But anyhow, uh, riveting, captivating, exhilarating tennis from Wimbledon, and it's cool waking up and having that on. You know, usually you're, we're sports fans, right? That's why you're listening to this podcast. That's why I do this podcast. And all the events are typically, unless on the weekend where it's in the afternoon, they're typically in the evening. You kind of wait around. Your great anticipation for whatever the event is: baseball game, the football game, the hockey game. Uh, but it's cool waking up and Wimbledon's on first thing in the morning, and that was an unbelievable match. In fact, I was going to start the podcast here about an hour and a half ago, but I could not take my eyes off the television and I wanted to hear the commentary. And so uh, that's my thought uh, on uh, on Wimbledon and watching the doll. It's great watching the greatest of athletes in any sport and the doll, Djokovic, whatever you may think of, you know, his, his stance on not getting uh, vaccinated is neither here nor there for me in that they are the best of all time, among the best of all time. You know, Roger Federer, it looks like, you know, tennis is now going to be in the in the rearview mirror. Maybe he makes a comeback at some point in time. But uh, watching Nadal, watching Djokovic, if you're a sports fan, even if you're not a tennis fan, uh, you, you have to love it. It's amazing stuff. All right, I mentioned we're in Los Angeles, and 
the All-Star Game will be in Los Angeles in a couple of weeks at Dodger Stadium. And it'll be great theater. It'll be, I'm sure, a, a bit of Hollywood, naturally. And it, it got me thinking because the 4th of July just passed and, and the Rockies played on the 4th. Uh, at Dodger Stadium, and as we speak right now, the Rockies have lost the first two ball games at Dodger Stadium, 5-3 on the fourth. They made a, a nice comeback, made it interesting the ninth, couldn't uh, finish the deal, lost 5-2 to two on Tuesday night. I hope all of you uh, had a great Fourth of July weekend. I saw a lot of this on social media, and this is where I'm going with this, that, you know, football has, you know, New Year's Day, college football has New Year's Day, Thanksgiving is is owned by the NFL, and for years there's been, at the very least, a doubleheader. Now I think there's now a tripleheader uh, in the NFL. The Cowboys always play. The Lions always play. Uh, and on Christmas Day, you think of the NBA from a sports standpoint. The NBA is going to have marquee matchups on Christmas. And it was pointed out that there were no nationally televised games. Yes, you go to the MLB Network and, and watch some ball games on July 4th, but there is no competition for Major League Baseball on the 4th of July among the other major sports, and Major League Baseball should own it. And I thought about this, and I couldn't agree more. I know that baseball is provincial for the most part. I mean, you follow your team. But it's not altogether different in the other sports. I mean, you're a, you're an NBA fan of the Nuggets, or you're an NHL fan of the Avalanche, and, and so you're going to more closely follow those teams. However, and we see this, I, I think, most clearly in football, with marquee players, even if you're not a Chiefs fan, if the Chiefs are playing the Cowboys, let's say, and that's one of the nationally televised games, you're going to watch, and I know football is king, but you're going to watch because Patrick Mahomes is involved. You're going to watch because Dak Prescott is involved. Baseball needs to do this. And even if people are tired of, oh, it's always about the Yankees, you still should have the Yankees and the Red Sox make sure that that series is over the 4th of July. And make it a triple header. The Angels, yes, it's tremendously disappointing. The Angels with two of the biggest stars in the game in Mike Trout and Shohei Otani haven't made the playoffs. But you can feature them on the 4th of July. I don't care who they're playing. They're, maybe they're playing Seattle. Maybe they're playing the Texas Rangers. But you can build up and give people an opportunity who, yes, their favorite team may be the Rockies or the Phillies or the Marlins even, but they may want to watch and go, hey, this is an opportunity to watch Shohei Otani. This is an opportunity to watch Mike Trout. And baseball needs to do that. Have a triple header, have the pomp and circumstance and the flyovers in each ballpark um, and all of the other things we think about on the 4th of July. But celebrate the rivalries celebrate the great players in Major League Baseball on the 4th of July. It has been a missed opportunity, and I would love to see going forward to help the sports popularity, to help the sports growth, to help market the greatest players in the game, and even the greatest teams, typically, 
you know, the Dodgers fall in that category year in and year out. Have them on the 4th of July. I, I think it's something that Major League Baseball, not that they haven't looked at, but needs to accomplish with the other networks. MLB Network's great, but it needs to be on it needs to be on one of the partners, the ne- the national network partners, whether it's ESPN or, or Turner or a combination thereof. It needs to be on nationally, um, and and get these guys seen, get the great teams seen, um, get eyeballs on the Fourth of July on Major League Baseball. Back to the All Star Game. Uh, first of all, I'm uh, I'm kind of on the fence as to whether every team should get a player. I'm not going to debate that right now. The fact that every team in Major League Baseball is represented, it's always been that way. Uh, not passionate about this uh, one way or the other, so I'm okay with it. I do believe in sending deserving players. And in the case of the Rockies, there are two guys that are deserving of strong consideration for the All-Star game. It doesn't mean you slam the gavel down, as I like to say, and they have to be there. There are certain guys out there, it's pretty clear. You know, Paul Goldschmidt, slam the gavel down. Paul Goldschmidt needs to be in Los Angeles, and he will be, uh, for the All-Star game. For the Rockies, C.J. Crone, who plays the same position as Paul Goldschmidt, is going to be in a fist fight to make it because there are about four, five, six first basemen in the National League having All-Star caliber years. I don't know if Crone makes it, but he's had an all-star caliber first half. As we speak today, he's got 20 home runs. He's among the league leaders in extra base hits. He's among the league leaders in, in RBIs. You know, his batting average is outstanding. His OPS is among the league leaders. And also, no one talks about this, he's played a really good first base this year. Just a couple of errors. From a defensive run saved standpoint, DRS, he's among the league leaders. He's had a tremendous first half, and he is deserving of being in L.A. again in a couple of weeks for the All-Star game. The other Rocky that is clearly deserving of being at the All-Star game is the Rockies' closer, Daniel Bard. And, you know, he's been back for a couple of years now. It's a marvelous story. We know he had the yips. He overcame that after uh, seven years. He returns to the big leagues. Well, you look at his numbers now. His numbers are off the chart good. He has been a dominant ninth inning guy. He had issues getting lefties out last year. He was great against right-handed hitters, had a lot of issues against lefties. They hit well over 300 with a, with a heavy slug, slugging percentage against him. And this year, they're hitting in the, in the mid-100s against Daniel Bard. And when he goes out on the mound, it typically is game over. And those are high-pressure situations. Uh, we know all about <laughs> having how difficult it is to close games, get the 25th, 26th, 27th out. Both of those guys deserving to be All-Stars. At least one will, because every team gets a representative, but it's not gratuitous. Both um, should very well be in Los Angeles, and, and perhaps, you know, they both make it, which would which, which would be kind of cool for a team that's, you know, decidedly mediocre at best right now. 
I mean, uh, they're you know well below 500. So if you get two on a team that's well below 500, uh, you've done nicely. Uh, but I wanted to mention that um, here we are into well into July. The All Star Game's coming up, and uh, I always hold back talking about All Stars because to me it's silly and even in the third or fourth week of May to say, oh, this guy's an all-star. Well, we don't know what's going to happen in the next four, five, six weeks. And, and maybe, you know, their game depreciates quite a bit. And maybe they're not so much an all-star when July rolls around. But now that we're within a, you know, a week and a half of the all-star game, whatever it is, uh, fair enough to talk about it. And uh, so Daniel Bard, C.J. Crone, very much deserving uh, of being in L.A. Uh, for the all-star game. All right, the other big news of the week, and I guess it's fitting that uh, I comment on this with the fact that we're in Los Angeles right now, is USC and UCLA, two flagship universities for the old Pac-6, then the Pac-8, the Pac-10, the Pac-12, are going to the Big Ten. Geographically, when you look at it, you're like, what? That makes no sense. But one thing that is guaranteed in life is change. We don't always like change. We struggle sometimes to embrace change. But we also know the bottom line in everything, almost always, is money. The SEC teams, I think the payout last year was around $56 million per university with the television contracts that currently exist in the SEC. The Big Ten, approximately $45 million, so about $10 million less. The Pac-12 schools were slightly less than $20 million, right around $20 million. If you recall, before Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were going to the SEC, Texas was getting a bigger share of the pie in the Big 12 because they were one of the flagship universities. Uh, They were the marquee university along with Oklahoma. USC and UCLA used to have that situation. And then in 2011, when Colorado and Utah joined the Pac-10 to become the Pac-12, the pay across the board was equal. So Washington State, Oregon State, Every school got the same. And I think USC and UCLA looked at this, and quite honestly, I'm sure it began with Fox, and Fox brokered the deal with the Big Ten and said, we can make this a massive conference with even more massive payouts. And it became a no-brainer going forward for USC and to, you know, I think USC initially was was the one to go and uh, they picked up the phone and called UCLA, uh, again, Fox being involved. And now the, the Big Ten, which has had more than 10 teams for quite a while, once they added Penn State and you have Maryland and Rutgers and, and you know, I know there's traditionalists in that conference that, that still, you know, roll their eyes at the fact that those schools are now part of the Big Ten, but now you add USC and UCLA. My take on it is this, not we, we understand it, money's the bottom line. Are there going to be two super conferences? Yes, there'll probably be a third. The Big 12 will, will gobble up. They're already in conversation with the 
you know, the Colorados, the Arizona schools, the, the what's left of the of the Pac-12. I still don't know if they're going to have the football powerhouse year in and year out that the SEC has with the schools you know at the top of the food chain, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs. And the Big Ten, it's Ohio State above everyone else. And then and then Michigan falls in there, you know, Wisconsin somewhere. USC with their history, and this is the appeal to the Big Ten, the, the appeal to the television networks. USC with, with its history should be able to compete with those other schools, the aforementioned schools, for a national championship. It's not for me, as I look at it right now, in the summer of 2022, you can change these conferences around. It's not going to change the true players for a national championship. I think you will also see an expansion, ultimately, of the playoffs to 12 teams, which I've been saying for a while. I had to go to at least eight because you want a Cinderella team in there. We love March Madness. You want more teams involved. But but the teams, the schools that truly have an opportunity to win a national championship, it's going to be the same schools we've been talking about the last seven, eight years. I think SC can enter that conversation again because of its history, because it's Los Angeles. I, I think they will enter that picture again. And plus with the NIL, let's not forget the NIL. I mean, they got a quarterback who's who's a millionaire now, and Caleb Williams, who who came from Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Basically, this is Los Angeles, man. There's a lot of money in L.A. There, it's the media, not the media capital. That's New York, but it's the film capital. It's the entertainment capital in a lot of ways. And so, if you're going to go to school at USC or UCLA, there's going to be that much more NIL opportunity so they can win a national championship they can be in the picture specifically usc i'm not dismissing ucla altogether but even with these super conferences it's not going to change i mean northwestern's not going to win a national championship even though they're in the big 10 you know vanderbilt kentucky uh, you know even even Ole miss they're probably not winning a national championship in football indiana the University of Minnesota, it's still going to come down to Ohio State, maybe Michigan, USC we talked about, and and then those schools in the SEC. Can a Baylor out of the Big 12 jump in there one year? They, they can get in the tournament, especially if there's expansion. But you're, really, you're talking about the same schools and now larger pools of money for the schools that land in the Big 10, the SEC's already set with the addition now of Oklahoma and Texas. The non-revenue sports, been thinking about this. So this could hurt in recruiting for USC and UCLA, potentially. You're a volleyball player, you're a baseball player, you're a soccer player. Other schools around the country, especially take Big Ten schools, they're going to use that against the two West Coast schools. Say, hey, listen, this isn't making four or five trips east if you're a football team a year. You're talking about making multiple trips. Every time you play a conference game, you have to get on a plane for 
minimum of probably, you know, going west to east, you know, four hours, right? And then going back, it's longer than that. And I know a lot of these teams charter still, but that'll be used against the non-revenue sports teams when it comes to USC and UCLA now being part of the Big Ten. I mean, they're going to have to go play Maryland. They're going to have to go play Rutgers. That's flying all the way across the country. Baseball, weekend series in New Jersey. They're going to have to go a day earlier. I know a lot of these schools, they always bring tutors anyhow, but you're going to have to, uh, you're going to, have to make sure of that because there's going to be more missed class time. Uh, but not a shocker. I know it seemed that way. It's not a shocker. We've been heading in this direction toward the super conferences. One other note, um, and, and more from a regional standpoint, talking about the University of Colorado first and, and Colorado State, what does it mean to the schools in our region, in the Rocky Mountain region? Colorado already in conversations with the Big 12, kind of going back there. I don't see Colorado in, in a much better, different situation than they're currently in in the Pac-12. They're in also ran in the Pac-12. Uh, it's been many moons since they won a national title when they were a top five program, uh, top 10 program throughout the 90s and the early part of the 21st century. That's a long time ago. And there's going to be three tiers. There's going to be that first tier that I just talked about with the Ohio States and the Georgias and, and the Alabamas and the schools that, that we've been talking about the last few years. That's one tier. tier. Tier one that legitimately can win a national championship. And it's like eight or ten schools. Six, eight, ten. Maybe there's a new school that drops in there now. USC wants to get back to that level. They're accustomed to, in their history, being at that level. Then there's tier two. And for me, Colorado is going to fall in tier two with some of the, with, with a lot of the leftover Pac-12 schools, with most of the Big 12, with most of the ACC. They're tier two schools. Every once in a while, if there's an expansion to 12, a 12 team playoff, they may be able to have a season and be a candidate to be among those 12. Most years, they're going to compete for a bowl game that you probably are not going to watch. That's it. And then tier three, tier three at the old Division I-A level, the FBS level, Mountain West, um, American Athletic Conference, the MAC, those conferences that include Colorado State and Wyoming and Air Force, they're going to be somewhere in that third tier because they're not going to get the revenue of the next level of conference like the ACC or the Big 12 because the Big 12 is now going to grab what's left of the Pac-12. Even though a lot of folks in Fort Collins, and I understand this, would love to see Colorado State move up to a another conference to make more money. I just, right now, I just don't see it. And so they fall into that third tier. Not that they're not going to be able to play with and compete with most of those Tier 2 teams. They can. I mean, Colorado, Colorado State, they're, they're very similar. The difference will be money brought into the coffers. It'll still be better to be in that second level of, of conference because there's going to be two clearly above all else. That's the SEC and the Big Ten. That next level, the ACC, 
the new Big 12, whatever, however it shakes out. But I see three tiers. I really do. It's fascinating. It's changing uh, day by day. The NIL has certainly changed that. Uh, you know, we'll have continuing conversations about this, but, you know, check back a couple of years from now. Yeah, the star players, what does it do to the locker room? And, and I'm all for the NIL. These schools have made tons and tons of money off of some of these young people uh, in the revenue sports and football and basketball traditionally. Um, so I'm, I'm all for the the NIL, but you're going to, it's not like professional sports where everybody's getting paid. You're going to have a quarterback who's a millionaire and everybody else in the huddles, you know, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're getting pizza money. So how does that change moving forward? And to some schools and you're in conversation this already, you know, have some people involved with the program and that pay everyone and then the stars are getting, you know, the super duper money. Who knows? Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch going forward. All right. The celebration continues for the Colorado Avalanche. It is ongoing. It's fun to watch on social media where that where that cup will be and, uh, and some of the parties uh, that, uh, again, continue on. And, well, they should uh, when you win a Stanley Cup. Uh, it should be a long party for the, uh, for the players, certainly, and, and for the fans that uh, – that have followed diligently uh, where the Avalanche have come from five years ago, the worst team uh, in all of hockey, produced just 48 points, and, and now look where they are. So our conversation continues this week with Peter McNabb. It's part two, and uh, we talked all about the run last week. And, and this week we're going to talk to Peter about the Avalanche and their, and their prominent free agents we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite subjects, the handshake line in hockey. And we'll talk about uh, a comparison of this Stanley Cup championship team and the Avalanche's last Stanley Cup team in 2000 and 2001. It's always fun talking to Peter McNabb. So enjoy this week's Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week, Part 2 with longtime Avalanche television analyst Peter McNair. I love, love, love the code in hockey. And it's uh, it's different. I, I've been around, covered, and at different levels played, you know, most of the sports. And uh, just hockey's different, man. It's just, and Peter, was like it was like that in your day. I was laughing with a buddy of mine. I was saying, these crazy SOBs, you, the goalies used to play, first of all, without a mask. And then they put, you know, the only thing that first mask did, Peter, was, okay, you didn't get a laceration. I don't know. God knows what you saw back in your day. But, I mean, th- these these folks, it, it's like, yeah, it, it cut off my arm. I'll play with one arm. Whatever it is, they play. And I, I just love the code. Uh, of hockey and and you have to respect it. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you if you've never watched a hockey game. If you understand that, that's what is separates these guys. Well, and and the thing that that people forget because it always would not bug me, but you know I was always upset. Players would get criticized left, right, and center, and I knew I had a friend once on who was, had a a broken arm and a broken ankle. And he was coming in, and he was having the calf cut off, 
cut, cut off his um, arm and the, the casket off his ankle. He was going in, getting shot up, getting shot up, go out and play, and people were criticized. And this, this, I said, you know, I'm going to say his name, cause, but, you know, I said, how do you, he said, because I, I can. I can I can go out there and I can do something. You and the thing here's the little little part that I was always so impressed with and I learned that you you know what, in those situations you have to be one hundred percent willing to give up your your, your ego. Because your game is just simply not gonna be what it was. And you got no shot at it being what it was. But the team needs you giving what you can and you're perfectly willing to do that. But it's it's always you know I can remember the guy in L.A. said when they had one of their runs to the Stanley Cup he said the line in front of the doctor's office to get shot up was like a Congo line you know guys were just <laughs> going, going in come that come out next guy boom boom but you know and I've I've been in those situations where you just you go in you say hey doc how you doing said what what's what's your problem you point here here and here and he you know 10 seconds later you're the happiest guy in the world because you don't feel a thing max what one of the other traditions that i love about hockey the toughness we we're just talking about but in, in that realm these guys literally beat the shit out of each other if it's if it's seven games here it's going to go two weeks and and they literally you know are trying to take each other's heads off and then there's the handshake line. And it's not a gratuitous, hey, I'll slap this guy's hand and we're going to get done with it. I mean, it takes time. You've been in a number of those. And I'm telling you, my eyes well up seeing, uh, because uh, my love of sports, my love of competition going way back to when I competed, just to have that mutual respect and each guy you know, takes time to visit, even sometimes it's brief, but sometimes it's longer with each guy that they tried to knock the living daylights out of for two weeks. I can't tell you how much I love it, how much I admire it. And I'm asking you to, to reflect on not only your observations, but your experience. Was there, was there a story that stands out of, you know, visiting with somebody after one of those series, maybe with Boston or, or at some point? The ones that always, I marveled at originally because I had to learn about the National Hockey League because I was coming from San Diego and I was coming from collegiate hockey and there weren't a lot of collegiate hockey players in the National Hockey League. And I would watch two guys who would have had in a six-game series four fights. And I mean, drop, and this is back when fighting was more, you know, a bigger part of the game. They, I mean, they were just brutal. Right. And it would always take them longer to shake hands and congratulate each other, sort of, you know, win, one win, one lose, obviously. But, and I go, I mean, I would say, how do you do that? You know, you just, Maxie, that's the way it is. That, that, that's the way that the game is. And because I, my feeling is it's got to be tough sometimes because I didn't play that way, so I don't know that side of it. And, you know, I hate guys and guys would run me and whatever, but I wasn't, you know, one of those guys that was going to, you know, get in. I mean, you know, because some of the hits that some of the guys took in this playoff series, I mean, I wouldn't have talked to the guy, you know, <laughs> if I saw him on the street. You know, it would be, you know, kiss you son of a beehive. You. But right. These guys, you know, and it just seems to be, always seemed to me 
to be the, the tougher the, the situation would be between a couple of guys, the more time they would spend sort of, you know, they didn't necessarily go overboard, but it was always a really, it was understood. You did what you had to do. I did what I had to do, but now it's over. Yeah, I was interested. Like when, when I saw Perry, you're there. You know, I'm, I'm at the whim of whoever's directing the broadcast, but, you know, I was interested to see how guys interacted with Perry, for instance. And you know what? It's respectful. And um, I, I love I love the handshake line. Yeah, I mean, you can, you, you can say very, very honestly that after game five, they absolutely hated Corey Perry. After game six and they won, there was, okay, he did everything. This is what every, usually you understand. There, there's guys that go over the line and don't necessarily deserve the respect that the, the, the handshake line gives them because, you know, they just, they've just done, you know, whatever. But, you know, Corey Perry tries to help his team win. He, he yeah. will do what he thinks is necessary for his team to win. If that means, you know, bumping into Darcy Camper, that means, you know, sticking a stick under somebody after the whistle. If that means, you know, falling on top of Kent, you know, all of these things, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's gamesmanship, certainly, but he, he is playing to help his team win because you know, the one thing you know when he does that, he's going to get punched in the head. He's going to yeah. get, somebody's going to stick him right in the, in the, in the, in the tummy with, you know, with a stick. So yeah. you pay a price when you're going to do that. So, you know, it, it's just, it's always been fascinating for me, those guys. Yeah. Well, he, he deserved that, especially as he got up off of, you know, the, so there's no question. Hey, what was the plane ride like back from Tampa? The, I'm sure no one got more than 20 minutes of sleep the night before. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> Drew, I have one rule. Don't ask me about a bus trip. Don't ask me about a plane ride. Don't right. ask me about a locker room when I'm here. Yeah. Because that's, you know what? That's theirs. And they were nice enough to have me on it. It was a thrill to be on it. The best part for me was um, saying hello to the parents, you know, because I got to talk with them about their son and stuff like that. But whatever the players were doing, I absolutely didn't see a thing. <laughs> I, I think they were all asleep and they – they kept putting the milk beside, you know, them. <laughs> <laughs> Which was what I thought, you know. They, they handed out the chocolate chip cookies and, and everybody got a nice nap. Yeah, that's that's what I fully expect. That's what I saw. All right. Peter, you know the world of sports. Um, this is going to, to linger for a little bit. And then after the parade, okay, the Avalanche have a list of prominent free agents. Uh, can they repeat? Who, how do you prioritize who you bring back? It's a salary cap sport. What does Joe do? Well, I, I can't ask Joe right now, but I'm going to ask Peter McNabb. How do you prioritize with, with the, the, the biggest names and, and who can you realistically bring back? You know, I, I think, you know, when you're talking about that, you're, you got Kadri, you got Burkowski, you got Chushkin and Kemper. Uh, and Josh Manson is, is an unrestricted free agent. So these are obviously these are huge because you've got McKinnon coming up two years from now, and that's going to be a big contract, a well-deserved big contract. And so I mean, this is the part where Joe and Chris McFarland and you know those people that are in charge of the money in this way and and that you know it's it's going to be fast. I would I would defy anybody to say okay, 
Give me the lineup for, for game one for the Colorado Avalanche next year. Who is going to be part of this club? I mean, there's the obvious ones that you already have signed, the big three up prime. You know, you've got McCarr signed. You know, but after that, then you've got to, you know, pardon me, McKinnon is going to be, you know, you can make him an offer sort of thing at, at the July 1 or whatever date it is. And, you know, that, but it's the way that you got to balance things. And you know, these are tough decisions. You'd love to pull a New York Islander, and they won four cups in a row. And, Drew, believe it or not, 17 guys are on all four cups, are on all four teams. 17. Wow. I mean, four in a row. I mean, because there was no salary cap. Yeah. And there was actually no, really not much movement of players. But 17 of your 19, 20 guys were back for all four. I mean, it's just mind-boggling now. I think Chicago lost seven or eight after their first cup and have to regroup. So, you know, there is going to be, you know, I mean, you know, if you're honest, you're probably saying to yourself, Gabby probably had too good a season for the Avalanche to be able to sign him. Who knows? They might. They might prioritize that. That you know. But it's just you have to look and you have to be honest and you have to, you know. And this is where more than ever the draft is so important. You know, you 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 get an opportunity to to bring a bull Byron into the lineup, and he's just on your entry level draft or entry level contract. And that kid, I mean, I'm not sure it's ever been done. But he led the National Hockey League play. Everybody in the playoffs, two plus minus at plus fifteen as a rookie. Now I don't. It's that's impossible. It I, I cannot put my head around that. He, the last game of the you know in game six, he played more than McCarr. I saw that. I saw you know, that. You know, and and, and if Coach Bednar and Nolan Pratt have one thing they do really well, they go with who's going, and they play those guys. And so he he just had a spectacular playoff, a spectacular finals, Bo Byram. And, and, you know, but the Avalanche will need to have some guys step up from the minor league club or, you know, they, they probably, unless they're going to make a big deal, they're probably not going to get a player from this year's draft that's going to step in. But, you know, they've got some guys from, pre, you know, previous drafts that, you know, they may, um, they, you know, they had to trade away a couple of them to get – um, you know the, the the players they needed to win the Stanley Cup, but this is you know this is this is the business. This is it goes from the joy of the parade and the fun and you know the dinner that the team will have and all of this, and they got to turn around at the first part of next month and try to figure out how they're going to put together next next year's team. More with the great Peter McNabb in one moment, but first this for Ideal Home Loans. Ideal Home Loans has been helping you get your mortgages and get refinanced for more than 20 years, not only in Colorado, but in Arizona as well. And they're a phone call away at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. These are turbulent times, as we know, with market rates. And you may still be in the market for a home. I know things have slowed down a little bit, but... Uh, you may still want to try to take advantage of, of moving or of upgrading your current home. They can help you in every regard, and they're going to handle all of your questions and find you the best product to get your project done or to get that new home 
purchased. They've done it, as I said, at such a high level for more than two decades. And uh, their phone call away, as I said, 303-867-7000. Brent Ivinson and his team have earned an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau because they are marvelous at taking care of you. 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans. Now back to more with Peter McNabb. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you one other question, and it's the silly... You know, it's it's almost like one of those cliche talk show kind of questions. <laughs> but uh, but I, I'll go down that path, even though you you know me well enough. I don't generally do that sort of thing. Can you compare and contrast? No. You know where I'm going. The O one team. And- no. It's 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 it, and and the, the thing that sits right in the middle of it is the salary cap. You cannot compare a salary cap of. Because if you look at, <laughs> pardon me, yeah. Pierre, when you when you look at the players that Pierre was bringing in, he was that big gambler guy. I mean, he was he did you know the you get Lackanen and you get Manson at two million and Lackanen he's bringing in Blake and Bork and Flurry. I mean, he, you know, every time you turned around, it was a bigger fish that was coming in, going out, you know, and that's. There, there's the difference. But so was Detroit, and so was St. Louis, and you know, and Dallas. They were, you were, they were bringing in big money. I would, I would love to have seen what the budget was for the Avalanche on in the old one team, because you had guys that were eventually going to make ten million dollars, several of them. Well, you can't have that and be successful, you know, nowadays. Everything is about managing that cap. So, you know, now if you want to get into why did the Avalanche win, I can throw you one. The Avalanche, the first year they won, they had Sackick, Forrester, Kaminsky, and Oslinch, top four scorers. The next time they won, they had Sackick, Tange, Hayduk, and Blake were the top scorer, defensemen. And this year they had the top big three and McCarr. Each team had that special defenseman ingredient that other clubs don't have. And, you know, you look at it, and it, it really is important. I mean, the goaltending, you know, the first two there was Wasp, and this one there was Kemper. And Patrick Waugh is one, two, three, all time. And Kemper is a really, really good goaltender who now has a Stanley Cup ring and a Stanley Cup, his name on the Stanley Cup. So things just evolve. Hey, you know, when you're involved with, especially when the salary cap just flattened out because of the pandemic and everything, it's not like it's gone in a couple of years it may go up, and that's when you may see a you know a different look around the league. But right now, you're managing at the same salary cap for the last uh, two three years. Yeah, it's um, they're, they're they're fun questions. They're they're obviously silly, and that you know one would never know. Um, I, I've said this many times of. Of all the athletes I've seen in this town in particular, uh, the guy that remains when when he was healthy, the best for me was was Peter Forsberg. And I mean, I know how I know the affection you have for Forsberg. And um, I, I wonder, Peter, if you're going to have a chance to talk to him or I'm sure he was watching. I assume he was back in Sweden. I'm sure he was watching from afar. And it would be it would be interesting to hear his thoughts on uh, on what he witnessed over the last couple of months. 
Yeah, and you know, he was he was always my favorite player. The, the reason I got into um, hockey, I I loved the imagination of the game. You know, once you got that puck, you you could let your own imagination, you know. And I could I could imagine a lot of things, but I couldn't do it. Peter could imagine a lot of things. He could do them all. You know, and I, I will uh, I'll argue with anybody anytime they want to, you know, sit down and have a conversation that Stack and Forsberg were the best one-two punch at center ice maybe in the last, you know, I think ever because of the way that they played, the way that they, you know, the difference in style. It, it was, I, I know I think I've told you this, Drew. I, I used to have this little drill. The guy would give me the end zone view of the film when I would take it home, and I'd put it on, and Joe would get the puck in the, you know, in the defensive zone, moving towards the neutral zone and the offensive zone. And I would stop it. i say, okay, now where is the perfect play? And the perfect play would be to dead her on the right side or, you know, or to carry the puck or to get the blue line and find Ozo coming up on the far side. Whatever it was, there was a perfect play, and then you started. And sure enough, Joe just did it. You know, whatever right. The, the, the right play, the perfect play was, Joe just did it. And it was just – then you do the same thing for Peter, and you say, okay, let's start this. Okay, now there's, there's only one really good play here. That's moving the puck to Lemieux on the right side. And then you start it. And he's, he's going one way, then he's going the nuts. He's going backwards. He's coming back towards you know? and, then, and then he's, you know, then he's going over here, and then he's coming up the ice. And you're going, what is he – you know, but his mind – was so creative on the ice, and they were the perfect complement because you think you had Sackick figured out, and then you got to try and figure this clown, then you got this clown figured out, and then Joe does what he does, and so the back and forth, the yin and yang of those two guys was, uh, uh, as far as I was concerned, the most fun two center icemen I ever saw. Yeah, I I remember because it was only for a minute and a half. And, um, but I remember when one night flurry, when flurry, you you know, you went right where I was going. They paired them all together. Do you remember that Peter? It was, it was well, actually Bob put them together for the third period. And each one of them has said to me privately, it was one of the most phenomenal because Bob couldn't get them out there fast. They both, they all three played about 10, 11 minutes that third period. And it was the most truly because, you know, Joe and Peter weren't necessarily always on sync because they didn't think the game the same way. But that night they did, and Fleury did. And it was, you know, if you just wanted to watch one period of hockey, one group of three, because I'm not even sure who they were playing against. I'm not even sure if anyone else played that night for the Avalanche. But I've had, Theo said to me, that was the greatest experience. And Peter and Joe have all talked about that period, uh, and it was, I mean, I mean, I, you know, it's, it, it's my little term, but it was magical. You know, uh, it, yeah. it, it was absolutely magical. Yeah, I, I, I remember it so well because in my role, you know, I was I was the between periods and whatever pregame guy. And, and so I'm, a, I'm, I'm at ice level watching that, and I'm like, holy sh! this is a different speed right now and a different skill level, and I don't know how the hell, whoever they were playing, I don't know how the hell you defend it, because it was just, I mean, it was like it was like three Olympic 100-meter sprinters coming at you, and, and it, was, it was just <laughs> phenomenal. And it, the puck was going everywhere, and if you look at it really closely, there, 
You got, you've got the two avalanche defensemen and the five players for the other. They're just standing there because they don't know what to do. Because every time they turn one way, the puck's going the other. So they're just kind of like blocked and blocked because they're like, where, what do I do next? You know, all, and the, 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 my face, they, they pulled that favor. Well, the, the only word the opposition used was change. Just get me, get somebody else out here because I can't figure this thing out. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Hey, hey, Peter. Um, first and foremost, you, you sound, you look great. Uh, your energy appears to be great. I, I, I assume all is going well. Most importantly, yeah. Well, we're we're, we're getting there. Take, it's taken. You know, it's you know, I just uh, to be on the sort of uh, whatever for a second. Yeah. Um, you know when it. You know how players are, and I'm, I was a player. You try to be, nah, it's no big deal. It's this, that, you know, it's, what's, what's, but I learned that that is so disrespectful, so disrespectful to the people that have been through this because it hurts and it's not easy. And, you know, not everybody makes it by any means. And so for me to sit here and say, oh, it's not, it is something. It is, it's hard. You need help. You need support. And I've had just, you know, I've had unbelievable, support from you know fortunately my dad told me one time that if you're lucky enough inside of your career if you play you know x number of years and you'll have a lot of teammates but if you have five true friends in a career you've done really really well and i can honestly say that uh, max is no longer with them but i have mentioned to him that you know max i actually have outdone that i have uh I, I was taught how to be a friend, and I think I'm a pretty good friend. But they, uh, the friends I've, that I have have been phenomenal in this whole thing. It warms my heart to hear you say that and, and, to, and to see from afar how well you're doing. Uh, the, the joy and the passion that you have for the game comes across and has come across for 20, it's crazy, 26, 27 years now. <laughs> and, and three cups. I know. I keep I keep saying it, and I'm like, do I really want to say it again? Because the other day I had a, one of those funny, you know, as you're aging, obviously, I turned 70, right? Yeah. And I was li- I was living in the 60s, or you know, because you can roll 68, 69 down to 60 if you want to. Like I'm in my 60s, you know. Once yeah. you do that double bar crossing down seven, it, there's no going back. You know, you <laughs> you you are what you are, you know, but. It's it's what's so wonderful about this game. Every single time that you think, you know, uh, maybe you just need a little something. This this year, this team, you know, that's why I I was I don't want to say grateful, but I mean it was so much fun to watch them. It gave me so many nights where I was able to take, you know, two and a half three hours and just pour it into that as opposed to sitting in my own mind because that is a lot. Let me tell you, Drew, that is a lousy place to go at three o'clock in the morning when you haven't had any sleep and you're just, and you're, th- you're just thinking it's, there's not, there's not many really good thoughts that are out there. I, I, I don't want to say I can imagine. I haven't been through what, what you uh, have been and, and continue to, but um, you, you know this, and I don't mean this to be trite. You know how many people uh, 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 pull for you. and it, It's been unreal. And, and the, the, you know, the people have, of avalanche fans have been phenomenal and all, you know, it's, you're just so grateful that, um, that this, and, and it gets to the same thing. This hockey fans, you know, that's what they do. I mean, you know, they, it's, 
they're good people. They like the game. It's like the parents of these kids. You know, you should meet the parents. I mean, every single one of them is, you know, <laughs> Logan O'Connor's dad said to me, God, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to save for the credit. I've got to get back and get to work. You know, it's they're working guys, and there's and but you know through the whole gambit, and you know that's who's been that who these are the people that bring up the team, and you know so it's it's a it's just been fun to be involved. Yeah, you you know it's funny you remind me my my boys are all huge Avalanche fans. You know my middle son is crazy. Crazy, crazy, and I, I flew. He's playing. Uh, you know, he's. They're all we're college baseball players. And he's playing in the in uh, the prospect league in the Midwest, and I flew him back in uh, so he could go to game five with his with one of his brothers, and you know, great atmosphere. Unfortunately, they don't they don't clinch game five as we all know, and he wanted desperately to stay back for the for the parade, and you know, you, uh, um, he he made the right decision. You know, he has a commitment. He has to be, he has to be back to play ball, but. Um, just the, the how it brings everyone together, how it brings this community together is it's just tremendous. I've heard, I always go back to that silly movie uh, Major League, where yeah. they're in they're in a bar afterward. One guy's obviously a steel worker guy, you know, hardworking. The other guy's got the punk haircut, and they look at each other like, and then they hug. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the it's, it is truly. You've been there. You know, you've looked around the um the ballpark when there's that magic hit, that magic moment, that magic play, that catch that just brings everyone together. And you're just talking to everybody around you and you're hugging and you're holding and the whole thing just is is fantastic. It's the beaut it's it's I'll I'll leave you with this, Peter, as you well know. Because you've been in it at every level and 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 every element of being able to participate in sports, um, it, it is the it is the beautiful thing about sport because it, it transcends uh, you know race, it transcends so many different things in ethnicity and religion and. And it brings people together. Nobody, there was a piece I saw in the post today. It's not about who, who's conservative or liberal or where they sit uh, on a certain issue. It truly, you know, you'll hug the person next to you and they could be diametrically different from you in every way, shape and form. But we're all in it because we, the abs scored. The abs won the cup. I'll, I'll, I, you know, I'll tell you, I'll end it with my, my, my favorite. It's just my favorite story. My, my parents had never seen me play a playoff game. And mom and dad come in in Boston. We're going to play Montreal, and we'd never beaten them. We we lost four games to nothing the first the first time we played them. Then we lost uh, the first two in Montreal. Mom and dad are there, and my mom is a prim and proper lady. I never heard her swear, you know. I never saw her drink. I mean, she she was just June, you know. And, and when you said, "Okay, that's June," you knew what that meant. Okay, so I get them two tickets, and I I kind of know where the tickets are. And so mom and dad are sitting right in the middle of the bleacher bumps in uh in Boston Gardens and and I know I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom is gonna hear some stuff. So anyway, we're 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 into the third period, we're up to nothing. We come down the ice and Mike Milbury passes it over and I in a wide open net and I score. And I turn around and I know where they are and I'm thinking, this is like the greatest moment of my life. I mean I mom and dad have never seen me do this before. So I look up and Max is just high-fiving everybody. And right. my mom is hugging 
this guy, who I have no idea who he is, but they're jumping up and down. And I'm thinking, Mom, what are you doing? You know, this is fantastic. Yeah. You know, and I, I talked to her after the game. She said, oh, no, that was Bob. You know, I've got his phone number, Casey and his wife forever. I go, oh, God, good for you, Mom. You know, but that's what it does. It, it just it brings you all together. Yeah, it, 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 uh, listen, if you could see me right now, uh, my face is hurting. I'm smiling and laughing at the same time because it's that, that, that sums it up. It's, it's beautiful. And listen, Maxie, you've been, you've been a friend for years. You, you taught me, as I said at the, at the outset, I've learned so much hockey from you when I worked with you. I, I certainly continue to learn uh, on a nightly basis when, when I watch, um, your treasure to this region. Um, and, uh, and I wish you. I'm going to see you soon, but I wish you. Uh, I wish you continued success and continued good health. And I can't thank you enough because I know how many people want to get a, a piece of you these days. But uh, I appreciate well, the time, man. <laughs> you know, I, really and truly, uh, I'm the lucky one. I, you know, because when Quebec came here, and I, you know, I, I thought getting out of the, you know, the the East Coast and coming back this way was a good idea. I never, ever, ever would have imagined that it would have gone this long and been this great, and this wonderful with all the great people. So. Drew, yeah. you obviously one of them, but uh, but thank but thank you so much. Hey, and by the way, because I know you, not only you were you were a hell of a baseball player, but I know you're a big baseball fan. When when the dust settles, call me and, and come on out to the game. Sit upstairs with us and and uh, and take in a ball game. I would love that because you know I don't know about some of these. I will absolutely do that. You got it. I, all right, man. We'll talk. We'll talk soon. Give me a holler. Okay. Take care, pal. Maxie, as his nickname, is great. Uh, I can't uh, thank him enough for, for spending time uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and breaking down the avalanche season, breaking down the avalanche uh, prognosis going forward, breaking down uh, the, the history of the avalanche and the comparison between this team and previous teams. And uh, it was really fun to reflect also on that uh, spectacular line that didn't spend a lot of time together but when Theo Fleury, Peter Forsberg and Joe Sackick were skating together that was uh, that was a magical evening and I remember it well so again big thanks to uh, Peter McNabb and um, congrats again can't congratulate them enough the uh, Colorado Avalanche who brought such great joy uh, to the city to the region uh, to the state of Colorado and that cup run. And, and hopefully uh, they'll be doing it again. I was talking to um, one of our producers who also does the uh, the Golden Knights, and he got his preseason schedule, and he said, I think it's September 25th, at Ball Arena, the Avalanche will be skating against the Golden Knights in a preseason game, September 25th. So when you win the cup, you don't get much of a break. I mean, you barely get healed up, and they're going to be – you know, on the ice again at the beginning of September, and uh, the season will get going again in October. It's crazy uh, how short a turnaround it is after two months of, uh, of of playoffs for the Avalanche, and the same thing, obviously, uh, for Tampa as well. But uh, it'll get going here soon, so um, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy that Stanley Cup. And um, we'll do it again next week. We're going to talk, I believe, to Clint Hurdle. And we'll get a feel for the Rockies' system as he's been moving around the minor leagues 
for the uh, for the Rockies, and we'll get with the uh, former skipper Clint Hurdle. We'll have that coming up uh, next week. Again, I hope everybody had a great fourth. Make sure you download the DNBR Rockies podcast with uh, with Patrick Lyons, and uh, tell your friends, tell your family, stay safe, folks, stay well, and uh, we'll talk again next week as we've begun year four on the podcast. Thanks again, man.